Loving Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can come into your presence again this morning. We thank you, Father, for the countless blessings that we have encountered just between the time that we woke up until now. And Father, as we linger in your presence a little longer together as a family, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Thank you, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The great Adventist missionary, Eric B. Hare, once told a story about a man in the Solomon Islands by the name of Rangoso. Rangoso had been converted to Adventism. This was during the time of World War II. And the missionaries in the Solomon Islands were asked by those people in charge to leave the islands because they didn't want any harm to come to them. And so as the missionaries left the islands, Rangoso was the one who was put in charge of the Adventist church in the Solomon Islands. He was a great man of God who loved his people. Well, one day, one of the generals that was in charge of the movements in the uh, Solomon Islands during World War II came to Rangoso. Rangoso had developed a relationship with the authorities, helping them in various ways during this wartime endeavor. And so this general came to Rangoso and he said, listen, there is a ship that has just arrived that is full of supplies and I would like you and your friend to offload the ship for us. It just so happened that the arrival of this ship coincided with the day of rest that we know of as the Sabbath. And Rangoso told his friend, this commander, listen, it's the Sabbath right now, and we would be more than happy to help out, but our Bible tells us and our God has asked us to rest on the Sabbath day, and so we don't do any work on the Sabbath. But once the sun sets, we would be more than happy to help unload the ship. Well, as you can imagine, the general was not very happy with this response, and he said, listen, this was not a request, this is an order. I'm commanding you and your friend to go and offload the ship. We need the supplies right now. Rangoso once again tried to explain to this man the concept of the Sabbath and that they don't work on the Sabbath day, but once the sun set, they would be more than happy to help. Well, the general lost his temper, and he took his pistol out of his, its holster, turned it around and grabbed it by its barrel, and started to hit Rangoso in the face with it. He hit him so many times that it broke his nose and knocked him out cold on the ground. Well, when Rangoso finally came to, he sat up, and the general gave the command for Rangoso and his friend to be taken and to be shot by the firing squad for disobeying orders. So they led them off. They lined them up. 
The firing squad came, they lined up, and the general came and he said, on the count of three, I want you to shoot. And so they, poured, they got their guns and they hoisted them up and they aimed them at Rangoso and his friend, and the general said, one, two, he couldn't say three. He was a little flustered by that because he learned how to count when he was in grade school. And so he kind of got his composure back together again. He said, on the count of three, I want you to shoot. One, two, he couldn't get it out. And in fact, after that, that general lost his speech for two weeks. Well, they didn't know what to do with Rangoso because the, the general couldn't speak anymore, and so they put him in prison. They took him and his friend, and they put him in the island prison for disobeying orders. And, and so they, there, there they sat. This great leader in the Adventist church was now in prison. But there were 300 Adventists throughout the Solomon Islands who believed in a God who answers prayer. And they had a very sophisticated way of communicating with one another. They would, they, they kind of developed this type of Morris code, and they would beat out these messages on their big bass drums from the top of the mountains, and it would be uh, carried from one mountain to another and one, from one drummer to another. And they sent out a message to all the Adventists in the Solomon Islands that on a specific night, at a specific time, that they would pray for Rangoso and his friend to be released from, from prison. They had... Learned the story, thankfully the missionaries had taught them this story. They had learned the story about the early New Testament church and how they had prayed for Peter when he was in prison and God sent his angel to deliver him. They said, surely if God could do it back then, he can do it again today. And so on that certain night, that, that uh, message went out to all of the surrounding area and the Adventists bent their knees in prayer, play, praying to God to release their fearless leader. Well, that night, there was a tall man who came to the gate of the prison. He grabbed the padlock and unlocked it, opened the gate, and walked into the prison camp up to Rangoso and his friend. He said, listen, I want you to come with me. So Rangoso and his friend got up. They walked out of the prison. The gate was closed behind them, and they walked down to the water's edge. And this tall man said to Rangoso and his friend, get into the canoe. There was a canoe there with two paddles in it. He said, get into the canoe and go home. Rangoso and his friend looked at the canoe, and then they looked back to thank the man, and he was gone. Well, that night, Rangoso was released from prison, and Eric B. Hare had the chance of actually talking to Rangoso face to face. And he asked them, who was it that released you from the prison that night? And without skipping a beat, Rangoso said, the same angel that released Peter from his prison released us from our prison that night. Isn't that powerful? 300 Adventists praying for one prayer request. And I dare say that these precious people probably did not have as much truth as you and I have been entrusted with. But they believed in the power of prayer. You know, as I think about this story, 
and there are many others like it that I will share with you during our time together in this series, I ask myself the question, why don't we see these kinds of answered prayers in our own lives? Right? We read them, the book, Incredible Answers to Prayer. Fantastic book. There's all kinds of answers to prayer in there that just inspire me and inspire you. But as I hear these incredible answers to prayer, I have to ask myself, why don't we see it in our own life? Why don't we see these types of incredible answers to prayer in our own personal lives? Why is it that we have to read about it and not always and be able to experience it? Now, let me be quick to say that I'm sure there are some of us here tonight who have had incredible answers to prayer, and I praise the Lord for that. But I think there's room for more incredible answers to prayer. I think there's room for us to lean upon the omnipotent hand of our Heavenly Father instead of trying to do things ourselves. So I want to share with you this morning three things that might be hindering you from having incredible answers in your prayer life. But before I do that, let me be quick to say, and let me emphatically state that we serve a God who answers prayer. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, ask and it shall be given unto you. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, what does it say? Believe that ye receive them and ye shall what? God answers prayer. The Bible also says in John chapter 15 and verse 7, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. There's a number of promises in God's word. We could spend a whole sermon period just quoting one promise after another where God says, if you pray, I will answer. The Bible's full of those types of promises. Why is it that we don't experience them in our own lives? Well, let me share with you three things that might be hindering you from experiencing prayers being answered like the prayer that was answered in the life of Rangoso. Number one, I hope you take notes on this because this is very practical stuff that you can go back and apply in your own personal life. The first thing that you might find to be a hindrance in your prayer life is something that we are all more familiar with than we need to be. The Bible tells us this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Listen to this. Neither his ear heavy that he cannot what? What is Isaiah saying? He's saying that God can hear. He's not hard of hearing. God does not need a hearing aid. Let somebody say amen. When we pray, God can hear. So listen, there's nothing wrong with the upside. When we pray, God hears those prayers. There's something else that is happening that causes him to have to turn away when we pray. And he goes on and he says this, verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he, what? 
Now, again, as I've said before, this is something that we are more familiar with than we ought to be. But the Bible makes it very clear that there is something that hinders God from being able to answer our prayers and hear our prayers, and that is what? sin. David tells us the same thing in Psalms chapter 66, verse 18. If I regard, which means to cherish, if I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will what? He won't hear us. And for those of you that didn't get a chance to come to our 10 days of prayer, the format that we used, and if you were careful to listen to Jim Griffin's prayer this morning, you would have heard him following this format where we started with praising God for what he had done, what he has done for us. And then we moved into confession, asking God to forgive us for our sins. And then once we confessed our sins, we made our requests known to the Heavenly Father. And then we concluded our prayer time by praising the Lord again. The Bible tells us that if we regard, if we cherish, if we are holding known sin in our lives, the Lord cannot hear our prayers. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is there some sort of sin that I am regarding in my life that is causing God to not hear my prayers? D.L. Moody once said, I sometimes tremble when I hear people quote promises and say that God is bound to fulfill those promises to them when all the time there is something in their own lives which they are not willing to give up. It's good to do a little self-evaluation. Lord, is there something in my heart that I am cherishing that I am not willing to relinquish and to let go? Listen, it's one thing to say, Father, forgive me for my sins. It's another thing to say, Father, forgive me for getting mad at my and getting angry with my spouse this past week. It's one thing to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. It's another thing to say, Father, forgive me for getting mad at my coworker and going back to that coworker and apologizing. God is asking us to remove sin out of our lives, to come to him in confession and let him remove those sins out of our lives. And as we confess our sins, what we are doing is we are removing the barriers that are closing up heaven's gates full of blessings. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Bible says the Lord will not hear. So somebody says, well, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's the sense in praying then? For all sinners, what's the sense in praying? Listen, it's not the fact that we are sinners that God cannot hear us. It's the fact that we don't want to confess specific sins that God will not hear us. And so what I like to do in my prayer time, and I would encourage you if you haven't done this yet to do it yourself, is I like to take a section in my prayer time, and when I'm confessing my sins, I like to just be quiet and let the Lord do the convicting. Sometimes we get so caught up in our prayer time, it's like a race, man. And it's, like, it's, not, and it's not a marathon, it's a sprint. And we're just zooming right through our prayer time. Boom, 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 amen, and then we're gone. And we haven't paused to let the Spirit do some massaging in our hearts. I like to pause in my prayer time, and, and, and as I'm confessing my sins to, the, to my Heavenly Father, let Him work on my heart and reveal things in my life that have separated me from Him. And then when He does, I like to confess those things right away and go back and make the thing right if I need to with whoever it needs to be made right. 
because I want to remove those barriers. I want to experience the tremendous power that prayer has for each one of God's people. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir at this point. What I'm going to share with you this morning is not new for any of us. But what I've found is that as Adventists, we suffer from information overload. We have so much information that we know, but we don't put into practice. Is that not right? And so it's good to be reminded of these things every now and then to bring them to the surface so that we apply them in our lives. The second thing that you might find to be a hindrance in your prayer life that is causing you to not experience these incredible answers to prayer like we just talked about with Rangoso is something that is going to require a little bit of humility on our parts. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus is talking here, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and, 6, 14 and 15. It says this, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive what? How many of you are thankful that we serve a God who's willing to forgive you of your sins? Right? And so Jesus is saying, listen, I will for- the Father will forgive you, but if you are not willing to forgive others, then he will not forgive you of your sins. Now, this comes a little bit closer to home because as a human, we all like at some point and at some level, we all like to harbor bitterness. We like to hold things against people. We have our little checklist of all the grievances that people have done towards us. And the Bible is very clear here that if we are not willing to forgive people for those things on the checklist, to forgive and to forget, then God cannot forgive us of our sins. In fact, he repeats himself in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says this, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So basically what Jesus is saying is, listen, before you come to church, you need to make sure that things are right between you and your brother and sister. So that when you come to church, you don't have that animosity. You're not sitting on one side of the sanctuary, and they're sitting on the other side of the sanctuary with those hard, bitter feelings in your heart trying to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. We're missing out on a blessing when we harbor that bitterness. We're missing a blessing that God wants to give to us, and we're missing the blessing of the power of prayer. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft uh, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He felt very righteous, didn't he? Should I forgive him seven times? Thought that that was a good number, didn't he? You know, seven days of the week and, you know, the whole seven numbers perfection kind of thing. And then Jesus just drops a hand grenade in Peter's life. And he says, uh, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but unto what? Now, those of you that are familiar with Bible prophecy, you know you can do that math in your head. Seventy times seven is what? 
490. And it's not the point that we're keeping track. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 490. Up, oh, can't forgive you anymore. But the point is that Jesus is making is if your brother asks for forgiveness, no matter how many times he asks for it, you need to forgive them. That's the point that Jesus is making. Even if they do it over and over and over and over again, because brothers and sisters, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, that's what we do to God. We ask him for forgiveness, and then we go and do the thing that we ask for forgiveness for, and then we come back and we ask for forgiveness, and then we go and do it again, and then we come back, and God is always willing to forgive you when you are genuinely sorry for that sin. And if God is willing to do that for us, how much more should we be willing to do it for our brother and sister? Now, this may not apply to everybody, but I haven't been a pastor that long, and it didn't take me long to figure this out, that there are some wounds in churches that go back decades that have not been taken care of. I'm not thinking of anything specific, I'm not thinking of any person specifically. So don't feel like, if if you feel like I'm preaching to you, it's the Holy Spirit that's talking to you, okay? Because I have no situation in my mind, but I have seen it happen. And I talk to people, and they they, they just had this, 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 this bitterness towards somebody for something that they did a long time ago, and they've never forgiven that person. Or maybe they've had this bitterness in their heart, and because of that bitterness, they said, I'm not going to that church anymore. I'm gonna go to another church. And they never resolve that issue. And they feel like they're taking care of the problem when in reality what they have done is put a roadblock in their communication with God. They have, they have, they have restricted God from being able to forgive them of their sins because they have not been willing to forgive the person who has wronged them. And so I want to appeal to you this morning, if this fits your specific scenario, even if it goes back 10, 20, 30, 40 years that you have been holding something, and maybe that person's not even in this church anymore, it's time for us to lay those things down. Because I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, I want to be able to pray and know that God is forgiving me of my sins. And maybe you might need to do a little bit of self reflection in your prayer time and just be still and let God do the talking and not you. Father, is there anybody that I need to go make things right with? Is there anybody that I need to forgive 70 times seven for something that they have done wrong in my life or done wrong to me or a family member? Because Father, I want forgiveness. I want that open channel of communication between you and I. Lord, I want to know that you're hearing and answering my prayers. You see, friends, it's dangerous when we go about in our prayer life, it's very dangerous when we go about thinking that God is hearing us when in reality, because we have not followed the advice in Scripture, he cannot hear us. That's very dangerous, and we don't want to get to that point. And I think many people have gotten to that point, and because they have gotten to that point in their prayer life, they feel like prayer doesn't work. I remember I was talking to a lady one time, and uh, that person is not in this church. It was someplace else. And she was telling me all of the various things that people have done wrong to, the, to her. And then several weeks later, she was complaining to me that she would pray and ask God for things, and he doesn't hear her prayers. 
And I went home and I got to thinking, I was like, well, of course. It's not rocket science. God said, if you can't forgive others, he's not going to hear you. Listen to the statement from the pen of inspiration. View and Herald, April 15th of 1880, it says this. One great reason why our brethren and sisters have, so, have no more confidence towards God in prayer is that nearly all neglect to follow the words of Jesus in, perse- in preserving harmony between brethren. She goes on. They allow various wrongs to exist with members of the church which create bitter envying and strife. And while these differences exist, listen to this, God neither hears nor answers their prayers. And darkness comes over the mind. Did you catch that? What happens when I don't forgive? You're, listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. You're not just damaging yourself. You're damaging the church. God neither hears nor answers those prayers, and darkness comes over the mind. She goes on and she says, unless those who have come together in church capacity shall observe the rules of Christ which are given to them in his word, there can be no such thing as spiritual strength Harmony or prosperity in the church, but disaster and ruin will be the result. Lord, have mercy. I know deep down in your heart of hearts that that's not what you want for the Muskegon Seventh-day Adventist Church. None of us want disaster and ruin to result in our church. We need to pray and say, Lord, give us a spirit, a heart of forgiveness that like Jesus, when Judas betrayed him with that kiss, could turn to him and say, friend. That we could have that love and compassion even if a brother or sister stabs us in the back. That we can still look at them and say, happy Sabbath. I'm glad that you're here at church today. It's easy to say that from up here, isn't it? It's another thing to see that person walking through the church doors and give them a hug on Sabbath morning and say, happy Sabbath, it's good to see you here. The human nature says, I'm going to sit as far away from that person as I possibly can in the church, even if it means i got to go into the mother's room. But brothers and sisters, that's not what's going to bring strength into our church. That will bring darkness and disaster and ruin. Enough about that. The third thing that hinders our prayer, we find in the book of James. James chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says this, you ask and receive not. I find that very interesting that even 2,000 years ago, they had this problem of praying and not getting answers to their prayers. Don't you find that interesting? It's not, we don't have the corner market on this in our society today. It was happening even back in James's time. We ask and receive not. And then he says, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts or your selfish desire for something that God has forbidden. The word 
amiss is translated in the English Standard Version as wrongly. In other words, it had improper motives. There was a selfishness that was motivating that prayer that was not of heavenly birth. Early Writings, page 268, makes this statement, God cannot approve of the least degree of covetousness or selfishness, and he abhors the prayers and exhortations of those who indulge these evil traits. I don't know about you, but when I look into my own heart, I see a lot of selfishness. I see a lot of covetousness. And that's why it's good for us during our prayer time to acknowledge that in our prayer and say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for being selfish, thinking of my own interests instead of you. Listen, God is not like some sort of genie in a bottle that if you rub it the right way, everything will happen the way you want it to. God loves you too much to do it that way, right? Because, you know, as Ellen White says, if we could see it from God's perspective, we would not have made any decision other than what he had made. So the reason, the third reason why we see our prayers going unanswered sometimes is because they are motivated by selfishness rather than being motivated by goodwill towards all men and following the will of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, In Prayer in the Believer's Life, page 112, he said, Selfishness cannot be trusted with power in prayer. Isn't that good? Selfishness cannot be trusted with power in prayer. You must get rid of selfishness before God can trust you with the what? Keys of heaven. He goes on, he says this, But when self is dead, God will enable you to unlock his treasures, and as a prince, you shall have power with God and prevail. That's what we want, amen? I don't know about you, but as I read that statement by Charles Spurgeon, it reminds me of this statement from uh, the pen of inspiration. This comes from Steps to Christ, page 94. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouses where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence. Amen? But if I have self in my heart, if I'm asking amiss, if I'm asking it to consume upon my own lust, my own desire for something that is wrong, God can't hear that prayer. In fact, she says, he abhors the prayers of those who are selfish. I don't know about you, but when I look at these things, I think, Lord, I have a lot of room to grow in my prayer life. Lord, I need you to remove the cherished sins in my life. I need you to remove my unwillingness to forgive and to forget and to also allow people to forgive me. And Lord, I need you to remove those selfish motivations that often consume my prayer life. I think we need to pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalms 138, verses 23 and 24, where he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. 
and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you want to pray that prayer? Search me, O God. Know my intimate thoughts and feelings. And Father, if there's some wicked way in me, some cherished sin, some unforgiving spirit, some selfish motivation, Lord, if there's some wicked way in me, remove it out of my heart and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you want to pray that prayer? Let's pray that prayer together this morning. Father in heaven, there is no doubt in our minds that prayer is one of the greatest resources that you've given to us as your people. Lord, we've experienced it this past week in our 10 days of prayer. We've experienced it in our own personal prayer times, in our morning devotions. We've seen, Lord, where your hand has worked in our lives, and we crave more answered prayer. Father, we want to prevail with you and be thick with our Heavenly Father in our prayer time. And so, Lord, we pray this prayer that you would search our hearts, try our thoughts, that you would see if there is any wicked way in us. And, Lord, if you find some cherished sin, if you find some unwillingness to forgive others, if you find some selfishness, Lord, we pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal that to us in our personal prayer life this next week, that we would cast it to the side that we would confess it, that we would renounce it, that we would mend relationships that need to be mended, that we would take self out, that we would remove these roadblocks, these dams, these barriers that keep us from hearing the answer from you as we pray. Lord, give us the prayer life of Jesus. And as we study this more over the next few weeks, we ask, Lord, that we would experience it in our own lives. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. Thank you for what you are doing in this church. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.